page 990 uh, in, the, in the Green Bibles. Luke, who was just one of the followers of Jesus, um, he was a doctor actually, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life and ministry, the last three years of his life at least, and, and here it is recorded for us in, in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, page 990. I wonder whether you are addicted to one or possibly more of the soap operas that uh, regularly play on our TV screens. Concentrated and intense stories of people's lives in relation to other lives. Again, rather intensely so. I'm often amazed how much individuals can pack into half an hour of life, day after day after day. But there we are. And of course, the intensity of the interrelation between the characters is precisely to to prick all of our interests. Ooh, he's a bit like me. Ooh, I know someone like that. Oh, I used to go out with someone like her. And so, once hooked, we begin to empathise that the things that they're going through elicit and draw in us reactions and responses. And before we know it, we can't miss the next episode. What will happen next? Look at the viewing figures in the, in the TV times. And the soaps are, are consistently drawing in the most viewers week on week on week. We love people stories. We're intrigued by other people and, and particularly with how other people interrelate and react to one another. Jesus has just spun out an episode of a soap for us in this story. Um, the heading in the Bible is unfortunate, I think. It's um, put in there by the Bible translators. It's very often they're helpful. I think in this instance it's not that helpful. Uh, the parable, that's just uh, another word for story that Jesus told. The story of the lost son. It's misleading. Because this, as you just heard, this is the story of a father and his two sons. Three people, at least, explicitly mentioned in this story. It's about their interrelation. Let's look at the characters in turn. I want to look at the younger son for just a few minutes. I want to look at the older son for just a few minutes. I want to focus on the activity and the heart of the father and then consider how we might respond to the story that Jesus has told. The younger son, what does he want to do? He wants to live. He wants to live. We were made to live by the God of life. It's perfectly understandable that he should want to express that life in whatever way, shape or form. But here's the shocking thing to Jesus' hearers of this story. It's the way in which he goes about expressing how he wants to live. You see, to our ears in 21st century Western culture, for a son just to gather up some money and then head off and make a name for himself, well, that happens all the time. That's understandable. We encourage children, don't we, to to fly the nest. But the shock to Jesus' hearers 
You see, it was well-established tradition that sons inherited from their father only when their father had died. That's when you inherited your share of the estate. To ask in advance for your share of the estate while your father was still living was tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead. Which in a patriarchal society, quite hierarchical, which respected elders, was a shocking thing. But not only that, for a son to leave home, that was shameful. It implied something wrong with the family unit and the extended family unit. We live very atomized family lives here in the West, but even, even today in Africa and other parts of the world, family units cohere much more strongly than they do in our culture. So we perhaps don't hear the shock in this story of the action of the younger son. And the degradation is furthered when, having spent his money, uh, things he can control, and hit severe famine, things he can't control. Isn't that true of life? We play a part, we are responsible, and in other ways, things just conspire and happen. And here he is in deep need. Verse 15. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I think, again, nothing particularly remarkable except jaws are dropping with Jesus here as he tells this story. A Jewish boy, even to be associated with pigs, was an outrage. Let alone to feed them, let alone long that he could eat the food of pigs. This is outrageous. This is shocking. This is degradation beyond belief. This part of the story culminates in verse 16. Long to fill his stomach, he's so hungry, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Surrounded, no doubt, by people, and yet an aching loneliness inside. I wonder, I don't know what state you're in this morning, why it is that you've come here this morning. But I wonder, does that on occasion describe you? I remember reading of the graffiti scrawled on a university wall. Why am I so lonely when there were over 10,000 people here? And we can live such driven and busy lives. We can actually sometimes feel the loneliness of being cut off from one another. Just a shadow, an echo of the greater loneliness of being cut off from the father, just like the son in this story. Cut off from the God who loves us, the God who provides for us. The younger son, the older son. We jump towards the second half of the story, verse 25. Uh, the younger son has come back. The father is delighted. We'll, we'll come back to this. He's thrown a party. And the older son, verse 25, he hears the music and the dancing. So he calls to one of the servants and asks him, what's going on? And the servant replies, verse 27, your brother has come. And your father's killed the fattened calf, a special occasion, uh, because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother becomes angry. 
quite right too. When we think of what the younger son has done, the shame he's brought on the family, the shocking circumstances, how he's now gone the lowest of the low, good riddance to someone like that. He's not worth coming back. We don't want him anymore. Quite right too from the older brother. Did you notice in his response to his father uh, in um, verse 29, the middle there, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've never disobeyed your orders. I've been the good, obedient son, unlike that other one. He's angry. Quite right too. Every right to be angry. Do you see how he expresses it? He says to the father in uh, verse 30, this son of yours, it's quite a telling phrase that, isn't it? He doesn't recognize him as brother. This son of yours. I wonder, does that describe any of us here? People who have actually been in the company of God, as it were, in the company of other Christians, but somehow we've allowed our heart to grow cold such that there's an anger at good news. There's an anger at celebration. There's an anger at homecoming. We become resentful. Hmm. I've been in this church for, I've been a Christian for hmm. all these new people. Hmm. Quite right, quite right. Or are we? I want to look at the Father. Let's look at the heart of the Father. I want to look at this in some detail, if I may. Verse 20. We're back now with the younger son. The son who has, do you remember, he's uh, come to his senses, verse 17. He's just reasoned it out, thought about it, in his experienced hunger, in the loneliness. Wait a minute. Even my father's hired servants had better living conditions than than I do. I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 18, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Sin is a Bible word, it's a relating word. It doesn't primarily refer to the things that we do, it refers to our state, who we are. And sin specifically refers to a break in relationship. Ultimately, a breakdown of relationship between us as human beings and the God who made us. To be in perfect relationship with him. The, the outpouring, if you like, the, the fruits, the evidence of that rupture with the creator is a break of relationship with one another. Men and women made in God's image, but distanced from him. We see it played out in the story, the son, the younger son, distanced from the father and distanced from everyone else. No one else gave him anything in his desperate need. And he comes to his senses and recognizes, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy, verse 19, to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But, verse 20, but the father, while he was still a long way off, sees... (sighs) 
the Son. What does that tell you about the Father? This Son who's brought shame and degradation to the family, sullied the family name, could easily have been considered dead by the Father. Just cut you off from everything. And yet, while the son was still a long way off, the father sees him. This tells us that the father was initiating the search. He was looking out for the son long before the son was even thinking of the father. An old man, I imagine, with his eyesight maybe failing, scanning the horizon. Could it be? Possibly? Is it? Him! The hope, the hope, the generosity, the love of the Father. We see that in that next phrase in verse 20. When he saw him, he was filled with compassion for him. He didn't have to go away and work it up for a week or two. I reckon I'll be able to forgive him. Filled, filled with compassion. Filled. When you pour a drink for your children, a special treat, a glass of Coke or whatever it might be, do you give them half a glass if you've got a whole bottle? I mean, if you're really wanting to treat them, what do you do? You fill the glass, don't you? Filled with compassion. This father overflowing with mercy, with empathy. What does he do then? He ran to his son. Now, we live in a sort of fitness culture where um, all of us of all ages are kind of encouraged to keep fit and trim. And so we maybe think nothing of a father running towards his son. But again, let's hear the story in the context, in the context of Jesus' day and his hearers. This is a patriarch in a hierarchical, a patriarchal society where the older men are at the top and are revered. They stand and receive people. You go to the Father. He doesn't go to you. But here he is, probably because he is a a senior dignitary in the community, he's probably got some fine, probably quite heavy robes. And in order to run, he's got to sort of hitch them up, look rather undignified and ungainly as he runs. Was that a spur-of-the-moment decision? I doubt it. I think he's played that scenario in his mind over and over and over again. If I see that son, I'm going to run to him. Running to this errant boy. Echoes in this story of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something that he was going to hold on to, although it was his by right, he lets go of his status in heaven and comes and humbles himself to be born in a lowly stable and to live life limited by our space-time continuum, constrained to the forces here on earth. He demonstrates what a life would look like if God lived in human skin. He was God in human skin. And we, by way of response, spat on him and mocked him. We beat him. 
and crucified him on a cross. Yet still he came to us. In the story, the father runs to the son, throws his arms around the one who has wasted his inheritance, has proverbially stuck two fingers up to him. He throws his arms of love around him and kisses him. And when Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross, he died for our sin. He bore the penalty of the disruption of relationship, the tear in relationship. He stood in the gap and bore the penalty of sin so that our relationship might begin to be restored. If you like, Jesus came from the Father to kiss us as he died on the cross in order that our relationship with God might once again be perfectly restored. How does the Father see this Son? Verse 22. Quick. <laughs> He's not listening to a word of this prepared speech of the youngest son. Do you see there? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 21. Oh quick, bring the best robe. Robes were a, a sign of distinction, of status. You, you had a, a role, you had a place. You wear a robe, the best robe. You are chosen. I want you in my family. Put a ring on his finger, rings a sign of authority. The king in days of yore, wore a signet ring with his crest or emblem, pressed it into hot wax. That's the seal, the authority of the king on that scroll or charter. You have authority in this place. Put sandals on his feet. Slaves in first century Palestine were barefoot in the household. Slaves could not wear shoes to, to mark them out as clearly separate from sons who wore shoes because they were a completely different status. This is the father who will not recognize the son as anything other than a son, chosen, preferred, loved. Do you notice that? The youngest son says, make me like one of your hired servants. But the father only ever refers to the son as a son. He's a son who was dead, but now is alive. He's a son who was lost, and now is found. He was always a son. Jesus, I believe, is wanting to say to us through this story, we are his children, his sons and daughters. We may wander off. We may disregard him. We may bring shame to his name. He will only ever see us as a son or a daughter. Someone loved, someone cherished, someone who he searches for, runs towards, and in Jesus Christ kisses to restore the relationship. The relationship that is robed and sandaled and given authority. And just as the father only ever sees the younger son as a son, so too 
the older one. Did you notice that little phrase in verse 29? When the older son is berating his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Isn't it ironic? The younger son says, make me like one of your slaves. And the older son, who's been in the father's presence all the time, who's been a son all that time, and yet look what he says of himself. I'm a slave. And just as with the younger son, so with the older, the father will not have it. Verse 31, my son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We've been partners for some time. Look back at verse 12 at the start of the story. When the younger son comes and says, Father, give me my share of the estate, so the father divides his property between them. The older son has had his inheritance too out of the sheer generosity of the father. Here, we're partners now together. But the heart of the older son has grown so cold and hard that when he comes to the father and complains because of the celebration, I've been slaving. Who do you relate to in this story? Are you like the son who's wandered away from everything that the father has, wandered out of relationship, lived a life in the company of others without any consideration or regard for God and his purposes for your life? Or are you like the older son? Actually, you've always been around the father and yet, ironically, you're as distanced as the younger son. Because when it comes to it, you feel like a slave, not a son. You don't know what it is to know the embrace of the Father, even though you've been, in a sense, in his presence all that time. I want to commend the Alpha Course to you, simply because I haven't got time to say all the things I'd love to say about the love of the Father, expressed through Jesus Christ the Son, made real by the Holy Spirit. The Alpha Course fleshes that out. But let me finish by saying this. And I just want to give one final illustration. Let me finish by saying this. I think one of the hardest things to becoming a Christian, one of the hardest things for us to live in the knowledge of God's love for us is the acceptance of that fact. I think we find it extraordinarily hard to believe and to live in and trust the outrageous generosity and the extravagant love of the Father who is God, like the Father in this story. We become like the younger son, make me a servant. I don't want to be that close to you. I'll dictate the terms. Servants have rights. Servants can run away. Servants can go and serve someone else. But a son belongs. That's a challenge for us. Those of us who love our independence. Those of us who love to dictate terms. My son. My son we must celebrate. The unconditional, generous love of the Father. Impacting and affecting us. 
uh, I was hoping to show another little video clip. You can find it on YouTube if you uh, just tap in YouTube on the web and then when you get that up tap in Hoyt, H-O-Y-T and you'll get the story of an extraordinary man, Dick Hoyt and his son Rick, who through an accident at birth was severely uh, uh, traumatized and paralyzed. He can't walk or talk. Uh, in fact, doctors basically wrote him off when he was born about 45 years ago. I think one of them said, There's, uh, forget this guy, there's nothing going on in his brain. And yet, Dick, the father, had faith. And uh, I think aged eight, he took them to see another specialist to see if there was any way in which they could communicate with their son. And uh, they managed to get a keyboard rigged up to a screen and falteringly, Rick, the son, he typed out his first words. And the first words were, go brains. There was certainly something going on in his brain. When he was 15 and at school there was a race that was organised and um, Rick came home and he tapped out on the screen to his dad, I'd really like for us to run that race. His dad was um, a little bit overweight and uh, he didn't think he could run around the block, let alone, it was five kilometers. But he trained up for it and uh, pushed Rick round that race track for the five kilometers. And at the end, Rick typed out to his dad, he said, Dad, when we ran together, it didn't feel like I was paralyzed. It didn't feel like I was handicapped. And Dick, the father, realized that Rick, the son, felt free. And he undertook from then on to do whatever it would take to enable the son to feel free, to enjoy the love of his father. He trained. And eventually in 1979, they ran their first marathon together, the Boston Marathon. He came 20,000th and something out of all the people who took place. It didn't matter. Rick loved it. Do you know, since then, they've done over 24 Boston marathons. Someone said to them, hey, why don't you try triathlon? And you'll see on the video if you uh, manage to download it or get a friend to do it for you. He thought, okay. So he got an inflatable dinghy and put the chair of uh, Rick's chair, secured it into the dinghy. And attached to a harness, he swims the mile and a half. He gets out and carries his son and puts him on a specially modified bike. Rick sits on the front and Dick cycles behind as he cycles the 40 kilometers and then he transports him into a buggy and pushes him the 10 kilometers to finish the triathlon race. They've done several Ironmans. They've gone right across America because Dick just wants to do whatever it takes to enable the son to be free, to know the love of the father. Extraordinary, costly, generous love. My friends, this morning, it's an invitation for us to consider that love of the Father who will know no bounds to demonstrating to us in Jesus the love that he has for us so that we might not serve him as slaves but love him as sons. just a moment of quiet for us to reflect on this story to reflect on its message to think of what it is
that God might be saying to us right now. Conscious, just as we sit and reflect, that some of us will want to think a little bit more. You may want to read that story again over this coming week and uh, ask God to reveal more of himself through that story as Jesus told it. Some of us may want to um, reflect on this familiar story and, uh, in a sense, make a new start with God, acknowledging afresh his love for us, seeking to live by way of response. It may be that there are one or two here this morning and actually you know right now that God is in a sense inviting you to begin this relationship as a son or daughter. To know him personally as Lord and Saviour, Rescuer. To know him as someone who in Jesus has begun the restoration of a relationship that was broken so that all our relationships might make sense. (coughs) If that's you in that last category, I'd love to meet with you afterwards. I've got um, uh, this little booklet, Why Jesus, which explains far better than I can uh, who Jesus was, why he was so special, and his part to play in the reconciliation of this relationship. Please come and see me at the end. I'd love to chat through further. But for now, let's finish with this prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for this story that he tells and for the message within the story. Your love for us. Father, as we recognise someone like Dick Hoyt who can do that for his son Rick, we find ourselves saying how much more might our Heavenly Father do to reach us. Lord, we want to recognise that love afresh this morning. Lord, we ask you to help us to respond, to reach back to you, to know you, and to live for you. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.